So can you imagine being 500,000 plus people, old people, young people, babies, adults, men and women, all of them together. The Israelites have been hundreds of years under the slavery, the whip, the tyranny of the Egyptians. And now they've been set free by God. At least they think so up until this point. And they're making their way out of Egypt. And now they find themselves trapped against the Red Sea, back against the wall, literally. Before them lies a body of water that they cannot cross on their own. And behind them, coming as fast as they can, is the most powerful army in the world. It sets up what's going to be a great miracle. Uh, But before we get to the miracle, we have to learn the lessons. Welcome to the Red Sea Rules Summer Series here at Three Circle Churches. We are looking at this incredible story. We're learning so many lessons about how we uh, can face our Red Sea moments because we all have them. We all have them. We're all going to face a moment when our backs are against the wall. And as we've looked at these different rules, we've seen that whatever place you find yourself in, Red Sea rule number one, God either orchestrated it or he allowed that to happen. Then we learned that the goal of our lives should be the glory of God. It's all about his glory. And the reason God let the Israelites ultimately get trapped against the Red Sea is that so in the end, he would get the glory. It's so very important that we understand that. And then we took a shift into the idea of spiritual warfare because the Egyptians represented a physical army, but there was more going on that day at the, at the shore of the Red Sea than met the eye. And it's true of our lives as well. We fight a spiritual battle. And we learned last week that we must focus on God while we remain aware of our enemy. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 14 now and let's see some more lessons that we can learn from this situation as the Israelites face the army of Egypt. You and I, in our everyday Red Sea moments, we face a spiritual enemy and we need to learn how to stand. And today we're going to learn another lesson about how we can face our Red Sea moments. In Exodus 14, verse 10, it says this When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. We looked at that last week. They looked up and they saw what would be very tempting to focus on, and that was the enemy, the impossibilities, the obstacles. But look at what happens next. They feared greatly, so they're very afraid. And the people, it says, of Israel cried out to the Lord. The people of Israel finally cried out to the Lord. Today we're going to look at the idea of prayer and how prayer is actually the most important thing uh, that we need to remember when we're in the middle of our battle. In fact, we learned last week we need to focus on God. And the way you focus on God is to stand in His truth and to reach out to Him in prayer. Uh, Listen, if you are a believer in God and you're not a person of prayer, number one, you're missing out on an incredible aspect of your walk with God, but also you are walking the danger zone because prayerlessness is very detrimental to your life when you are a child of God. In fact, I would say this for the Israelites, it looks like prayer was kind of their last resort, but that doesn't have to be the case for us. We are supposed to learn from their situation. Prayer should be our first choice, not our last resort. Last week, we looked at the book of Ephesians chapter six. And in that book uh, and in that chapter, Paul taught us that we fight a spiritual battle. And he uses a couple of phrases that help us understand. He says that uh, we have these enemies that are in the heavenly places. When he says heavenly places, he's not, not talking about heaven. He's talking about the spiritual realm. Heavenly places 
means spiritual realm. And you need to understand that behind everything physical and visible in your life is something invisible and spiritual. So everything in life that you see, touch, feel, it's all, everything you experience, every Red Sea moment you face, if it's physical and visible, it's connected in some way to something invisible and spiritual. And Paul taught us that it's called the heavenly places. It's this other spiritual realm that is just as real as the physical one, but it's one that you and I can't see, yet we experience it every day. And then he called it this this world that we live in on this side of the Garden of Eden, he calls it the evil day. And I don't know about you when you faced your Red Sea moments, but it sure can feel like the evil day. And what we're going to learn as we look at the Israelites in our own lives is that when you face those big obstacles, those battles, whatever area in your life that you're facing it, you're going to have to learn that on the evil day, you need a big God. And you need to learn how to call out to Him. Prayer has to be our first choice. Red Sea moments don't happen every day, but when they do, and they will happen, if they're not right now in your life, they will very soon. When they happen, you must learn to cry out to your God. So the Bible tells us that the Israelites, with their backs against the Red Sea, finally cried out to the Lord. And this is where we find Red Sea rule number four. Red Sea rule number four, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. The Israelites, when they looked up, they saw the greatest army in the world coming at them. And the first instinct uh, was, and it's what they did, it's what you and I probably would have done as well, they were anxious. They began to worry. They began to fret. They were fearful. It's a natural reaction. But as people of God, we are supposed to develop as we grow and mature in God. We're supposed to develop a supernatural uh, response when we face our Red Sea moments. Now we can look at the Israelites and, and rather than critique them, we need to learn from them. And remember that they've been through hundreds of years of slavery and they did not have the full counsel of the Word of God yet like we as modern believers do. So the Bible teaches us that there's this idea of progressive revelation throughout the Bible. And at this point in the history of the people of God, a history that you and I as believers are a part of, what we see is that the children of God are learning. They're learning about themselves. They're learning about the character of their God. They're about to get a huge lesson in the fact that they can trust Him, that He can work miracles. But in this moment, with their backs against the Red Sea, they're concerned, they're worried. And, and as they begin to question and think and be fearful, they cry out to the Lord. Uh, but they could have done that in the very beginning. And, and what God wants to grow in all of us as we face these moments is a type of faith that calls out to Him first, not last. The Bible tells us we don't have to worry about anything if we pray about everything. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, look what the response is, or, or, or the result. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what we see here is the Bible tells you instead of going to worry, go to prayer. Instead of going to anxiety, go to prayer. And in fact, instead of going to you taking your own action, you need to pray first. The Bible doesn't tell us that God uh, spoke to the Israelites and said, go fight those Egyptians. He never does that. He teaches them that they have to go to Him first. I think often the way we treat prayer and the way we treat God is like those glass things that you'll see on a wall sometimes and there's an axe inside of the glass. And we all know that you don't break that glass until there is an emergency. And when there's an emergency and you need to get through a door or a wall if the place is on fire, uh, you break that glass and you grab the axe. You know it's there all along, but you don't break the glass until there's an emergency. You don't need to treat prayer that way. But too often we treat prayer like it's the axe in the glass box. But prayer is meant to be far more than that. Prayer is not just for emergencies. Prayer should be a lifelong pursuit. It's an everyday relationship that we have with God. And so the Israelites cry out to God. The Bible doesn't give us much more about that prayer, but we can assume that it probably was not a prayer of great depth and theology and maturity because they're young in their faith. They're learning how to walk with God. But you and I, we have so much more that we can grab onto. We have uh, the perspective of history given to us. We have the full counsel of the Word of God. And we have the ultimate revelation of Jesus Himself. We know of the faithfulness of God. We have every reason to not be anxious and not worry and instead go to God with prayer. And what is the results when we go to Him in prayer? The Bible says that the peace of God that is in Christ Jesus will guard our hearts and our minds. Now look, when you face Red Sea moments, it's going to be your mind and your heart that Satan is going to just run rampant within. He's going to attack those places. It's going to be your imagination that goes wild. The Israelites were probably wondering as they looked at that army coming down the hill, what are they going to do to us? How bad is this going to be? Are they going to kill us, execute us, if they put us back in slavery? I mean, their imaginations were going to a place, watch this, that was never going to happen. God wasn't going to let the Egyptians win the battle. God was about to, as we all know, split the Red Sea. And this brings us to another point. Worry is useless. Anxiety is useless because I think all of us have experienced the fact that we have worried about things that actually never even happened. We've probably lost sleep over things that never even happened. And the Israelites are scared of that Egyptian army and that Egyptian army will have no power over them. So... Don't be anxious. Pray about everything. Now, what we see is that the Israelites are immature. They're learning to walk with God. Even when they pray and how they pray kind of reveals some of that immaturity. And that's going to be true of us. Don't miss this principle. The way in which you pray will reveal the nature of your relationship with God. If you pray at all, and if you do pray how you pray when you pray, is going to reveal your relationship with God. In fact, it does that for the Israelites. If you go on, because that's a good moment, right? They cry out to the Lord. But look what they do next. Exodus 14, 11 through 12. They then said to Moses, so they cry out to God, but this will tell you the nature of their relationship with God. He, they begin to complain. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone and we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, does that sound like maturity? Does that sound like they're really trusting their great God? They cried out to God, but then they revealed the true nature of their relationship with God. And let me just tell you how this works. Mature prayer will always lead to praise and trust. If I am mature in my relationship with God, my prayers will lead to a place, like Philippians just taught us, of trust. I'm going to trust God now that I've given it to Him, and I'm going to worship Him and glorify Him in it. But immature prayer, like the Israelites here, will always lead to complaints and worry. If I just pray a prayer that's not rooted in truth and rooted who I know God is and rooted in my trust in Him, I'll still end up worrying and complaining. But maturity will lead us to a different place. So I would ask this right now for all of us as we look at this story. What kind of prayers do you pray? What kind of prayers do I pray? And maybe this is even the bigger question. Do you even pray at all? So how should we pray? If we see that we should cry out to God and the Israelites did and He's going to answer their prayer in amazing ways, in miraculous ways, what about us with the maturity that we're supposed to have and in, in, in the, the full revelation of Jesus? Since we are modern believers and God has given us the, the full counsel of the Word of God, we've seen Jesus, what the Old Testament believers saw as a shadow into the future. We see with great clarity the cross, the resurrection. And we have the Holy Spirit not just with us, the Holy Spirit now because of Jesus has indwelled us It's pretty amazing the advantages we have in the gospel. Uh, So with that, we should obviously pray better. And it would make sense that if Jesus is the one who would fully reveal God to us in every way, would fully fulfill the law for us in every way, then He would also be the one to teach us to pray. And He does just that in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. I heard about these two guys that were talking one time, and, and one of the guys said to the other, he said, hey, I bet you they were, they were church guys and they were hanging out outside of church. And the guy said to the other one, I bet you $10 that you don't know the Lord's Prayer. And the other guy said, of course I know the Lord's Prayer. That's an easy one. Uh, let me tell it to you. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And the other guy looked at him and said, man, gave him the $10. And he said, I, I didn't think you really knew it. Now, That story reveals what maybe a lot of our attitudes are about this, right? A lot of us probably think we know the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes we don't even know it. Other times we have repeated it at ball games and and different moments throughout our lives, but we, we, we may know the words, but we don't really know the Lord's Prayer. So what I want us to do is dive in right now to this amazing prayer and really understand what it says to us. And the first thing you need to know about how Jesus taught us to pray is He started by teaching us how not to pray. Listen to what he said. He said, now when you pray, verse 5, by the way, this is Matthew uh, chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not. So he's still telling you how not to pray. 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now this is so important for us to to hear and understand what Jesus is teaching us. Before He teaches us how to pray, which many of you have memorized, uh, He teaches us how not to pray. And here's why. Remember I told you earlier, the way in which you pray reveals the nature of your relationship with God. And what we see out of the gate is Jesus is teaching us that the foundation of prayer for us in our prayer lives is our relationship with God. Our relationship with Him, the nature of it is going to drive how we pray. And when it comes to your nature of the relationship that you have with God, you need to understand you have a couple of choices. Really, it comes down to you're either going to have a boss mentality when it comes to God or a father mentality when it comes to your prayer life and your relationship with God. And, And you may wonder, how do I know the difference? How do I know if I have a boss relationship with God that's rules and laws based, or do I have a father-based relationship with God. How do I know? Well, here's a few ways to know. First of all, if you have a boss-driven relationship with God, if it's not a father-based, but it's boss-based, the first thing you need to understand is you will have a public prayer life, meaning you'll you'll pray when you're at church, you'll pray when you're at prayer meeting, you'll pray when you're at small group, but you will not have a private prayer life. That'll tell you right out of the gate. The nature of your relationship with God, if it's a loving father gospel relationship, then you will pray privately. But if you have a boss, rules, law type of relationship with God, you will have a public prayer life, but you won't have a private one. Secondly, if you have this boss mentality, when you pray, it will primarily be request. And it will be very little worship and adoration. If you have a father-loving gospel relationship with God, your prayer life will be intimate, it'll be powerful, and it will have lots of praise and worship and adoration. But if your relationship with God is boss, He's like a heavenly uh, killjoy. He's, you know, you're just trying to get something from Him. That's exactly what it becomes. Your prayer life will mostly be public, and when you do pray, it'll be very transactional. I want something from you. Now, here's the deal. I love my wife and kids. I love my family. And it does not take long for someone to get me talking about how great they are. Like, it just happens naturally because I love them so much. It will not take much for you to get me talking about how great and beautiful and talented and and amazing I think my wife, uh, Nan, is. And all you got to do is just nudge me a little bit, and I'll tell you how great I think my kids are and how I think they're the best kids ever, right? And you're probably like that, too, if you're a spouse or if you have kids. In fact, if you want to get someone talking, just talk to them about their family. They will tell you all about it. Why? Because there's love there. There's love in that relationship. So it's easy for me to talk about that. Listen, if you have a loving, gospel-driven relationship with God, praise and adoration will become the, uh, the centerpiece of your prayer life. And you won't pray just to get from God. You'll pray to be with God. That's what a loving gospel relationship looks like. And what Jesus is telling you here is He's saying, don't pray like this. Don't pray like God's your boss. Don't pray like the gospel's not true. Don't think more words, more jumping through hoops, more uh, making a a scene out of prayer. That's going to get you heard. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Uh, Pray like God's your Father. He's going to teach you that in a moment. And And the third thing you need to understand, if you have a boss, rules, religion, type relationship with God, then your prayer life will be inconsistent. Here's how it'll work. When things are tough, you'll pray. 
And when things are good, you won't pray. When things are going bad, oh man, you'll call out to God. You'll cry out to Him like the Israelites when your back's against the Red Sea. But when things are good, you won't pray. And when you look at those three things, it'll help you understand where you are in your relationship with God. Do you just pray publicly? Or do you also have a private prayer life? Because only gospel people and and seeing God as your Father will, will make you have a private prayer life. Is your prayers full of request? Or is it more full of praise and adoration of being with God? And finally, is there consistency to your prayer life? Do you pray when it's tough and when it's good? Or only when you really need something from God? This is how we're not to pray. But next, thankfully, the Bible tells us Jesus, the one and only, taught us how to pray. And here is how we are to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from my delivered me from my fears. I'm not scared here. I'm not scared here. I'm not scared. Not scared that's a great way to look at how Jesus taught us to pray. Let's just read the words again. Because after Jesus taught us how not to pray, thankfully He taught us how to pray. He said, pray like this. Now first of all, what we see in verse 9 is that Jesus assumes we're going to pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He, He says when you pray, pray like this. It's an assumption that the people of God will be people of prayer. We must learn to pray. We must, if we know Jesus, we must learn to pray. And then he says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus teaches us how to pray this amazing prayer. Now this is a prayer that you can pray word for word, but it was meant to be, if you will, a blueprint for your prayer life. 
these are the ingredients to what a good prayer life looks like. And, and just, just to quickly kind of give us a, a look over the top of it, you can break the Lord's Prayer in half. The first part of the prayer it gets us focused on who He is. It gets us focused on His kingdom, His agenda. I love in all of Jesus' wisdom that before He ever lets us ask for anything, before He ever lets us get into our needs, He puts our focus on God and His kingdom and His will and His power in our lives. And it's only after focusing on that that we as, as mere humans can really pray well even for ourselves and others. And then in that second half of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us, now you can ask for things. Now you can ask me for things because watch this, typically if you pray the first part of that prayer, if you worship God, if you acknowledge who He is, if you remember who He is, if you set your mind on His kingdom and His agenda, then in that second half of the prayer, you will ask differently. In fact, what I have found when I pray like this, the first half of the prayer will change what I was going to ask God for. It will begin to change and shape my prayers. And in fact, my prayers become more mature, more kingdom-minded, more Christ-exalting because I've prayed in the way Jesus has taught me to pray. It's very important that we understand this. So in the first half, we focus on God. Your kingdom, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Hallowed be your name, which means we should represent His name well. And our Father, remember this is a gospel-based relationship. And then in the second half, I get to ask Him for my needs. Give me this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me of my sins. All these beautiful pieces of a relationship. Well, God, this is what our daily prayer life should look like. And you go, well, the Israelites, I don't see them praying that way. Well, they didn't have the info that you have. They didn't have uh, the full revelation of Jesus coming in human flesh for us. And that's the power of the Word of God in our lives. We should pray better than they did. We should handle our Red Sea moments better than they handled theirs. Why? Not because we're better than them, but because we got to see their Red Sea moment. Well, we see how God works. We now see the cross. We've seen the cross of Jesus in the Gospels. We also saw the empty tomb. We, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that guides us through the Word of God. It's amazing what the Gospel has done for us. So we should pray better. We should follow better. We should trust better than our forefathers in the Old Testament did. So how are we doing with that? With all of the full counsel of the Word of God, how are we handling our Red Sea moments? Well, here's just a real simple thing. Remember, Red Sea rule number four is... Pray about everything, worry about nothing. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. That's what we must do. Because listen, we're all going to face our Red Sea moments, and they're hard, and they're scary. And the Egyptian army was massive and powerful, and whatever you're facing is probably pretty scary too. Our world right now with division and strife and disease and illnesses and economic uncertainties, it's a tough time. It looks like the Red Sea. But the people of God must model for the world what it looks like to trust God and pray to Him and believe Him for His promises. We must pray because, listen, when you face your biggest battles, the battle's not yours. You can't win the battle anyway. Remember, in spiritual warfare, we're supposed to follow more than we fight. Why? Because in the end, God gets His glory. It's all about His glory. And if you will trust God with your battles, not only will you see victories, you will have great joy as you get to know God more because the battle belongs to the Lord.
So this has been a great day for us to learn this Red Sea rule. Pray about everything, worry about nothing. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. It's all about crying out to the Lord. And I hope that all of us will even this week become more consistent and mature in our prayer lives. You know, there's this saying that goes around in our modern culture, and it's this. When people are going through something tough, we'll even hashtag it on social media. We'll say this, I got, I got this. Or we'll say to our friends, you got this. You'll be fine. You got this. But what I want you to understand is the Bible teaches us we don't have this. But we don't have this. When the Egyptian army's coming at you, when you're facing your Red Sea moment, I promise you, you don't have this. But God does. And if you are a prayerless Christian, then what you're saying to God is, I got this, I don't need your help. But listen, every time you drop to your knees and pray, Every time you pray for your marriage, your family, your home, your health, your money, every part of your life, when you pray, you are saying out loud, I don't have this, but God does. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And that, my friends, is Red Sea Rule number four.